an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Maddox. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Crossover Podcast. We are just weeks away from the NBA beginning scrimmages in Orlando. And then you have the season resuming on July 22nd. As you're listening to this, I think every NBA team will at least be in Florida uh, getting ready for all that. I am headed to Florida to be one of the reporters locking himself in to the bubble. Here, here for you fans to... Uh, bring you as much information as I can. I'm going because I have no life whatsoever, and uh, this really won't be a big change for me. So I will be hanging out in Central Florida uh, inside the bubble. Joining me, uh, one of my favorite guests this week. She is uh, Yes Network, Nets analyst, FS1, uh, NBA analyst here on NBA Radio, and I'm still not convinced that she's not going to sign a one-year contract and give 13 minutes per game 
to the Brooklyn Nets this year is Sarah Kustak uh, joining me on the pod. What's up, Sarah? Mannix, Mannix, one, it is extraordinary to see you. Um, two, it doesn't surprise me that your life will be the same quarantine or not, considering you really don't have one. Um, but three, you know what? I believe that you sent that tweet out as a joke about me giving the Brooklyn Nets a minutes, but I appreciate that some of the traction it caused. Uh, people believe I could still, I still got that in me. Well, Stick I, me in the corner. I, I'm in shape. My shot's still good. I probably can't play a, a, a lick of defense anymore against anyone, even against probably someone like you. I mean, but I'd be in. Every so often, we see a video of you making jump shots, like on the old DePaul floor. And for context, Sarah was a college basketball player. Uh, we've seen uh, you knock around Stefan Bondi a little bit back in the day. I mean, that those videos <laughs> were were legendary. So we know you've got a little bit of game out there, Sarah. Yeah, I don't know if Bondi gives me much credit knocking him around or <laughs> anyone else for that matter. No, I feel like your shot never leaves. It's like riding a bike; your shot never leaves you. Um, everything else is pretty much is, is gone though. Everything else are perishable skills. Yes. I, uh, I can buy that completely. Um, all right. I want to ask you first about the team you're most familiar with and, and that's Brooklyn. And it's been a very interesting, let's call it week plus, you know, for the Nets who look, we're never really going to get Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving back, but there was a thought that, you know, if you have the full complement of players, you can, you know, maybe make things interesting in the first round, especially when there's, really no blueprint for success in in this post-pandemic landscape. But then you had Spencer Dinwiddie test positive for coronavirus. He's out. DeAndre Jordan says he tested positive. He's out. Torian Prince, he tests positive. He's the latest Nets player. Uh, He's out. I mean, now, you know, we joke, but, uh, you know, who is the starting point guard in Brooklyn? If it's not Karis LeVert, maybe it's Tyler Johnson, who was signed like a minute ago. And... You know, you've got, you know, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen is really the, and Joe Harris too, is the only real mainstays from the rotation. I mean, what have you made of the last, you know, couple of weeks, you know, with Brooklyn? It's been interesting, Chris. And I think add on the fact, um, Wilson Chandler, because of family reasons, um, and, and to make sure that he was being cautious with his family and a decision that I know the Brooklyn Nets organization and everyone else is supporting back, but has opted not to go. Nicholas Claxton, um, who was a rookie this season, who showed a lot of promise, both with the Brooklyn Nets and with the Long Island Nets, had shoulder surgery. So he would be a player that probably would have benefited from the opportunity, the experience, the minutes in Orlando uh, will not be participating as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think um, there's a handful of, whether it's John and Musa, Rodion's Coup Roots, names that are not household names, but that have been a part of the Nets organization. Chris Chioza, who, due to some injuries, he was a two-way player, but playing really well for the Nets prior to the season suspension, will be back. You mentioned Tyler Johnson. It, it, it's going to be an opportunity for different players to show what they can do. And I think the, the Nets are an example of a very depleted roster with many of the rotation players throughout the course of the season, start of the season, their star players. But I, I'm interested to see, you know, how this affects other teams as well, because for as much focus as we have on the coronavirus and on keeping players healthy, 
from the virus. I also think just the the restart of the season, getting their bodies back, the the conditioning and the shape back, I, I do think injuries could be something that could factor in it and play a role where players have to be very careful. And so it'll be interesting to see what rosters look like for the entirety of, of these teams down in the bubble. You know, questioning the impact uh, the coronavirus has on an athlete's bodies, like just, it's a big red stop sign for anybody. You don't, it just isn't done because it's just too little that we know about the impact of this virus. That being said, do you have any problem with, you know, guys like Jordan and Dinwiddie, like they've had the virus for at least a week, if not more. All scientific evidence says that you test negative after a couple of weeks. I mean, the NBA season doesn't start till July 30th. I mean, do they have any, do you look at it as having any kind of obligation to, to go down and play? I mean, I look, the Nets aren't, look, Put it this way, nobody's nobody wants to go to Orlando. They don't. Like, they just don't. I, I had a conversation recently with CJ McCollum, and I was like, hey, how are you feeling about going? He's like, you know, anxious. You know, he's and th- that's a sentiment I think is pervasive throughout the NBA. Nobody wants to go down there and put themselves in this situation. Do you feel like players, though, like have an obligation to do it? I mean, that team, most of the guys in that team played 70 or 65 plus games, you know, with that group during the year. I mean, is that does that factor in at all? No, I think none at all. And I feel really strongly about this, given the circumstances of what's happening with the pandemic, what's happening with our country, and specifically with the Brooklyn Nets. A player like DeAndre Jordan, who suffers from asthma, who has battled multiple cases of pneumonia throughout the course of his career, um, that caution to me seems, you know, like a no-brainer that that may be something that he'd want to steer clear of. Uh, someone like Spencer Dinwiddie, who has documented, documented um, you know, what's been going on with him day to day in Twitter, who was experiencing symptoms. I think so often we're talking about these cases, and many players are um, asymptomatic. I think the fact that he was experiencing symptoms and he's still, you know, he got on a bike two days before the Nets were supposed to leave and said he overdid it. And he felt it the day before when they were leaving, um, you know, he was looking for hopefully a negative test and tested positive again. And I think just the continued concept for so many of these guys, and we hear different reports um, from players and the feedback of those who have tested positive is that we don't know how this is going to affect players. We don't know how it's going to affect bodies, you know, what is going to do um, in the long term. And because of that, I think you got to respect any player's decision, any, any individual's decision. Um, if they decide that it's not in their best interest, it's not in the best interest of their family. And it's something that they feel most comfortable with not going. Um, that's something that I don't even think twice about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well said, and I, I tend to lean that direction uh, as well. I mean, you know, if, if you have an underlying health issue and there's not, you know, years of scientific evidence that tells you what this does to your body and the kind of long-term impact it might have. I mean, I look, Rudy Gobert has said recently he's still dealing with you know yeah. stuff from the fall. So, like, you have to, to you definitely watch out for yourself first and foremost in this situation. Um, from a basketball perspective, I think one of the more – I don't want to call it interesting, but a fallout or a casualty of all this is, or could be Jacques Vaughn. And look, when Jacques Vaughn took over for Kenny Atkinson, you know this better than I do, but I feel like there was some support in the organization, strong support, that hoped that Jacques Vaughn would win the job outright, that they would play well down the stretch and that Jacques would um, you know, emerge. You know, he's a former head coach, former player. Like he would emerge as the guy 
uh, to lead that team. I wonder how much that sh- that's changed. I mean, he's going to go into this Orlando situation with the ultimate depleted roster. Um, you know, even if they made the playoffs, which is still possible since Washington is just as badly gutted at this point. But even if they made the playoffs, um, you know, you're you're basically cannon fodder for Milwaukee in the first round. I mean, how do you think that shakes out? Do you look at Jacques Vaughn as still being a full-time candidate for the Nets head coaching job? I absolutely do. And I will go further to say that before the suspension came down and, and when Jacques Vaughn was put in the position of which the, you know, for what it's worth, small sample size, but the Nets did win the first two games under his helm against Chicago and then um, out in LA against Staples Center um, the night before the suspension of the season occurred. Uh, however, Sean Marks was clear in saying that he wanted to give Jacques a, a legitimate chance to, to see what he can do um, and evaluate what he may be as a head coach. Fast forward to just a few days ago when Sean spoke with the media, and he said that his evaluation of Jacques at this point, he understands it's not going to be about wins and losses. And that's not how you would anticipate him looking at it, given the circumstances of what will happen down in Orlando. What I will say when it comes to Jacques Vaughn is, He's got a tremendous amount of respect and credibility amongst the players um, for what it's worth. And and I don't know how much this carries, and I I can't personally speak to the relationship, but he was Kyrie Irving's personal coach. Um, They had a great relationship. You could see that. You could see the trust level there begin to build throughout the year. Um, Again, Sean Marks has said that he he will pick the brains of Kevin and Kyrie, what they think, um, what their perspectives. It's it's not their choice to make. It's an organizational choice. Uh, However, that matters. And I think that matters within any organization, with any team, how your star players feel. But I do know that within the Nets locker room, um, there was support for who Jock is and, and what he stands for, and not just about basketball X's nose wise, but the, the respect they have for who he is as a person and, and the type of players coach that he can be. I, I also think you factor in, you know, prior to the suspension of the season, I, I think for many of us, whether it's current openings or maybe anticipated head coach openings that may happen, we don't know how this all may affect those. Um, and the dominoes that it has of what openings may be available, what other coaches for the the uh, reported coaching candidates or those that may be on the list for the Brooklyn Nets or those they would have conversations with, um, how that pieces into who may be, be available, who may be interested. And I think that can have a domino effect because you, you know what you're getting from Jacques Vaughn. The question is then if he were not your guy, then who are you looking at? And, and are you going to get the, the other candidates that you may want? So um, I think it's going to be something to watch out for, but I very much believe that Jacques Vaughn um, has a legitimate opportunity um, to potentially, you know, be offered that position or to, to keep the position that he's currently in. No, I, I think that, one of the stronger votes of confidence for Jacques Vaughn is that you haven't heard about any kind of coaching search with Brooklyn. Like, you know, Tom Thibodeau is kind of sitting out there and he was rumored to be a candidate uh, for Brooklyn, which would make some sense. He's a coach that, you know, handles veterans well and has, you know, high level assistant and head coaching experience winning at a high level. Uh, but they've kind of let him sit out there and dangle in front of the Knicks and, you know, potentially be their next head coach in the next couple of weeks and haven't really made 
uh, any kind of moves there. Now, like that's not to say that they're they couldn't. I mean, Ty Lue still lurks out there. Maybe he hops on their radar at some point in the next couple of months. But I I, I get the strong sense too that Jock is is very much in play, if not more, uh, to be the uh, next head coach in Brooklyn. Um, last question on the sort of Knicks or Nets related. You know, the the NBA had an opportunity to re to reseed the playoffs. Like the biggest the biggest negative against reseeding in the past has been travel, right? Like you. You don't want to have Portland versus Miami in the first round and like have a flight that's like effectively around the world to get, you know, between, you know, first round series games. Not an issue, obviously, now. Everybody in Central Florida, you could reseed all you wanted. It, it comes to the forefront more, Sarah, because you are really going to have an eight seed that just backs into it. Like, whoever, I'm not convinced the Nets even want it. I mean, they obviously we know they keep their playoffs, uh, they keep their uh, first round draft pick if they don't make the playoffs this year. Uh, the Wizards are effectively punting as well. Uh, meanwhile, out West, you've got at least four teams that are going to be slugging it out over the next two or three weeks just to grab that eight spot. I mean, you can make an argument. I mean, beside the Spurs, there are five teams out there that you know badly want to make the postseason in the Western Conference. Should the NBA have considered more strongly reseeding in hell? Should they do it now? I mean, there's nothing really stopping them from saying, you know, when the playoffs start, we're going 1-16. to 16. I mean, should they, you know, just say, screw it, let's, let's go 1-16? to 16. Uh, I, I, I never felt incredibly, when these conversations were happening, and I think a lot of this happened, you know, early on throughout the course of the last couple months, I never felt really strongly one way or the other. I think you can argue pros and cons of each. I think more than anything, you know, are you going to get the votes from the Eastern Conference teams to actually do this? But you look at the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the breakdown, I mean, the Orlando's, Orlando Magic in eighth place in the East are, are sitting with a 30 and 35 record. Uh, Memphis 32 and 33 Portland and then those following behind it are all right you know 29 and 37 28 and 36 Um, I know the scheduling plays out different I know the teams you're playing throughout the course of the season are different which may lend itself to that we know the strength at the bottom half of that Western Conference we understand the strength of those teams fighting to get in but overall the concept of reseeding I don't necessarily think that there's that much that goes into it. And the way we look at it now, the way rosters may be depleted, I think that changes things. But are you going to punish a team based on the fact that they're missing some players at this point of the year? I also think the other part for as much as we want to talk about the opportunity because there's no travel, um, because of some of those issues you look at, there are, are so many adjustments so this this is where I, I start to feel strongly about. There are so many adjustments within the course of what's happening in the bubble, uh, the circumstances we're seeing, what, you know, for as much dialogue about should there be an asterisk? Is there an exclamation point? Is this one of the hardest championships to win? Um, how we look at it, I think then increasingly changing some of those things uh, to me, then just takes away and changes the narrative of, of what you're trying to get a true champion. I also very much too think that for the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, the best record in the league and, you know, the team in the East, I, I, I like the concept that there is an Eastern Conference champ, a Western Conference champ, and those two are playing one another. I think then all of a sudden, you know, when you look at how things lay out and what teams would have to play and the matchups they'd have to play to get to that point all of a sudden now doing it in this season um 
I, I don't love the idea. But also you could sit here if you told me that this is it would be a fun, exciting way to give this a try and give it an opportunity whereby we don't have the travel. Um, you know, I, I'm not against that. But no, I don't I I like the fact that it's in some ways for as much uniqueness as we have to keep that part of the traditional playoffs intact. Um, th- that's, that's what I appreciate. Like well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because you're wrong and the <laughs> playoffs absolutely should be reseeded one to 16. The NBA should scrub this mistake from their, uh, their written in pencil rules that they have out there right now and go back and say, we're going to reseed. By the way, Western Conference, Eastern Conference, what the hell is New Orleans doing in the Western Conference? Like, can we like, yeah, I mean, there are certain things with geographics we can get into here. Geographically, you're going to have to put out a map of the United States. I mean, let's let's just move them over a little bit and make them the eighth seed in the... uh, DePaul is in the Big East. Exactly. Like, geographics mean nothing. They mean nothing at this point. We move forward. I just, look, I just think it's more, it's an opportunity to drum up even more interest in the sport. And I understand all the arguments against it. Everything you said is stuff that I've been hearing for for months now, and as recently as yesterday, as we record this. Like, you don't want to get too gimmicky. You don't want to put teams in a position that they didn't think they were going to be in at the start of the season. The start of the season, it was Eastern Conference, Western Conference, traditional playoffs. You want to stick to that. You heard Adam Silver, you know, it was like a month ago now, you know, say, bring up something Michael Jordan said on a conference call, like, let's not make this, you know, kind of goofy. Let's just make this about the basketball at this point. And and reseeding would change that. But man, it would just be a blast to see Milwaukee versus Portland in the first round. Or, you know, the the Lakers against even like Orlando in the first round. I, I don't even care. Just something outside the box to bring even more interest in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, look, the first round in the Eastern Conference is going to be, I mean, at least one to eight, it's going to be total crap. I mean, it could be that way in the Western Conference as well. I just want a little more interest in those mid-August weeks where you maybe have some one-sided match, at least have one-sided matchups that bring in different conferences and, and bring in different different dynamics, different matchups that you rarely see in the NBA. I, I just, it, it feels like an opportunity that's missed here for the league. But being someone that understands rivalries or what it does for teams to continuously play one another in the playoffs, the excitement that we're going to see, I think about things in the Eastern conference or Western conference. Um, but what built like that to me, then it's, a, I, know, I know you mean, Oh my gosh, what would it be like to see the bucks and the trailblazers in a first round series? I'm not saying that wouldn't be exciting. I though feel like that in some ways to me dilutes what we get from some of these teams that have a lot of disdain for one another or are have built this type of rivalry and they will continue to build that we see in the playoffs uh, because of the repetitive nature of the teams that they're seeing, the guys they get to know, the nuances that that brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely and a do part. Do we need more interest? We, I, I'm going to be glued to my TV for every minute of basketball in August, there's going to be no dog days of this is not that exciting. No, I, I get that. It may that. not be the prettiest I, of basketball early on, but I think when we talk about adding even more interest or more excitement, I think just guys out there playing, it's going to be at an all-time high because of our appreciation for what they're going out there and doing. No, I, I get that. And and look, I think you you definitely feel that now. 
but I wonder what the landscape looks like in mid-August. You know, when you have hockey playoffs potentially going on and, you know, football back, at least in training camps and then eventually uh, getting back into a regular season. Baseball presumably will get their shit together and get out there uh, on the field and, and play. There'll be an increasing competition for eyeballs and the NBA's separated itself. I as- pray. I pray that's that's what happens. I, I really hope that that's the. I hope that's the circumstance we're in in August. That there's competition uh, for eyeballs. That would be that would be hopefully a, a a good sign for all of us. I think here in this country. Yeah, I'm getting tired of watch of rewatching the Marvel Netflix uh, TV shows. I'm on like season two of the. I know Punisher we don't now. have time for it but i am fascinated to know what you've actually been doing in terms of tv or books to occupy it's your time pretty sad it's a a pretty afraid. sad there's nothing afraid. nothing cool about it um <laughs> all right let's talk a little bit about the nba bubble here um the league you know a couple of weeks ago issued that 113 page memo um you know teams are down there now the toronto raptors have been down there for the better part of the last two weeks um as you look at what the nba is trying to do and if you look at the landscape with what is happened or has happened in Germany with the Bundesliga and that the success of that China right now is having success with its bubble. How confident are you going into this that the protocols the NBA has in place that everything that has how it lines up is going to work that this bubble will hold up? To me and in, in my small bit of understanding with everything that's taken place. And I know the diligence and the effort of the league and the NBA and the players association, everything that's gone into this plan. Um, I think they have done what they can to try and make it as safe as possible for one thing, but also accommodating to a certain extent, understanding the amount of time that, that teams and players organization um, will be spending there. I think it's fluid and I think it's tough to gauge. And I think for as much as you could have this big manual with regulations and rules and restrictions and um, ideas about things, I think until you get down there and start going through all of it, see where some of the hurdles are, the hiccups, um, you know, the flaws that may need some fixing. I think it's hard to really determine as with all things that we know, there's no precedent for this. So um, there are some leagues as you've mentioned, but I think with each one, it's, it's different. I also think, correct me if I'm wrong, this will be the first indoor. So the other leagues um, have been playing outdoor, um, you know, outdoor spaces. So how will that change what happens here considering that you're indoors? Um, so I, I think, you know, there's nothing that I look at that I can point like, wow, I have a hard time wrapping my head around this. Um, but I do think there's a lot of just fluidity and there there's a lot of gray area just in general, trying to make sure that the confinement isn't overwhelming for these players and personnel. Um, however, still maintaining that level of making sure that they are as safe as can be um, to get this thing going and keep this thing going. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, 
sports, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You know, you're around players all the time, have been for, for much of your career, traveling with the team and, and doing different things. Um, you know, this is a pretty big lifestyle shift. I mean, these guys are used to a certain way of life when it comes to being an NBA player. Now, look, the league has done what it can to you know, afford it, the amenities that it can afford, whether it's a player's lounge or 24-hour concierge service, golf, and the ability to explore some parts of the park down there. But for, you know, at least a month, they'll basically be down there by themselves. For several weeks, anyway, they'll just be hanging out in their rooms and and quarantining as often as they can. I mean, how... I think the mental challenge of this season is going to be just as significant as the physical one. How how do you see that? How do you see these players and the adjustment that they're going to have to make... um, you know, mentally to, to being part of this bubble. I, you nailed it. That is so spot on about the mental challenge and the hurdles. And I think for as much as we can focus on what their next two, three months may look at, the concept that I think everyone needs to remember is what they're coming out of and what they're entering into this has also been enormously challenging these last couple months, the pandemic the fight for social justice, um, everything that's happening in the country, the the mental challenges that have already taken place and where they're at in terms of just the potential mental exhaustion as they now head into to this. Um, I, I think it's it's going to be different for every player. I think it impacts every individual differently. So you can't just put a, a you know, a big umbrella over all of it. And I also you know, some, it may be the living conditions, the amenities. Some, I, I think about myself, 
um, in terms of being a little bit more of an introvert or being fi I someone who's comfortable being by myself. Some some players or individuals, we talk about quarantines, but are so used to having whether it's family members, whether it's their wives or their girlfriends or their kids. Um, so not necessarily having. It's one thing for us to say, oh yeah, it's you know you're there to play basketball, stay in your rooms, quarantine. But some of the people that they rely upon most or care about most or who always are around them, even if they're moving from city to city or if they're traveling, um, not having those individuals necessarily uh, to be able to be around. I, I think all of it, and I, I do, I just very much think that that's something that for, as we talk to different coaches about, okay, how are you preparing your team? And I, I know you have similar to myself and whether it's current coaches, whether it's um, former coaches, and you ask them about them approaching these circumstances of what this is going to be like for as much as we want to focus on the physical or getting your team ready or creating chemistry and how do you get yourself back in playing shape uh, some of their biggest focus is just okay how am I going to continually to make sure that my guys are mentally and emotionally doing all right um, and keep them engaged in how much to bring together whether it's team activities uh, I know the social distance will be in play um, but guys being around one another for that amount of time and what can I do um, throughout the course of this. And I think that too is going to be a work of progress that is going to be a feel out situation. Uh, but that in and of itself, I think will be something to make sure that, that I hope um, for these guys, for these individuals, for, for everyone, I include you Maddox. Um, it's not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. I'm a bit of an introvert myself, so I have no issue sitting in my hotel Queuing up, queuing up Netflix in a hotel room. Same, same. No, but I mean, I think we focus, and I know over the course of the past few days, you know, focus on food or what type of food they're getting, or you know, kind of, some things are a little lighter than, you know, whether it's a, those making light of how they're going to eat or what they're going to do, or playing pool or ping pong or no doubles ping pong. Um, but once you get down to the nitty gritty of it, there's there's so much more um, that goes along with that, uh, and so I, I I do think it's something that is definitely going to need. To monitor oh no question i mean especially the teams they get deeper into it when you get into the first round and look i, I excuse me i think the one uh the one saving grace in that second round is when they start letting family members in and uh as teams bow out they replace those players with fam friends and family from the teams are still in it that'll certainly give them a little bit of energy but you're still talking about guys whose whose movements are going to be very restricted and they're not used to that and I think that's going to be something that wears on a lot of guys and you start to see it and maybe it affects their game. And, and there's a lot of ways that can, uh, that can trickle down me. I mean, I haven't eaten a meal that's not been out of a plastic container since I think March. So, you know, I was hoping you, you told me you learned how to cook. No, you know, I learned how to press Uber eats rapidly. It was like, hit it, hit it, hit it, reorder, 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 reorder. Oh man. I'm supporting local businesses, Suppo supporting the people. That's a, that is a way to look at it. That is, that a, is way a way to look, to look at, at it. At it. Um, uh, l let me look at just like the landscape with you real quick. The, you know, the Lakers still have LeBron and Anthony Davis. Dwight Howard deciding to play as a big boost. But how big a loss do you look at Avery Bradley as being for that team? I mean, Avery Bradley, of course, uh, a very justifiable reason for bowing out. He's got a, a child that is dealing with a respiratory uh, illness that you know makes it extremely difficult to be around him uh, during this whole pandemic. Uh, but on the court, Bradley was averaging like 25 minutes per game. He was 
having his best month to date in the month of March. He was playing great. And look, he's an on-ball defender. He's a three-point shooter. He's a backup ball handler. Those kind of players don't grow on trees. So how, uh, how big a loss would you say Bradley is to the Lakers' chances of winning a championship? Uh, I, I think it's a – I think that's two-part. I think it's a significant loss. I don't think you could overlook everything that he brought to the table and how important, especially what he did on the defensive end. Um, I think there's an underrated part to his offensive game, but just where he fits within the course of that roster. I know he missed some time earlier in the season because of injury, and that's when KCP started starting and um, did well. I think, too, on top of just the, the loss of his play and production and what he adds to the team, going into the bubble and going into – circumstances that we're still going to be curious to see how this plays out it it just it lessens what they have in terms of depth and I think you know such a big factor in what's going to happen and even in the playoffs or in any postseason um, you're going to need depth and you're going to rely on depth in different places and areas and games that you may not even realize looking ahead and so that's where I think yeah, you're losing his play, but you're also losing that depth of now the guys you're relying on. Not that, you know, I, I think I'm excited to see what Alex Caruso does in this situation and just getting more time. I, I think they have pieces that fit. I think even too with the Lakers, I'm really fascinated to see because their versatility, they speak of the ability to play big, to play small. Um, I don't have a good sense or a good feel, and I can't say that I was watching every single one of their games before the suspension of the season, but just who their go-to lineup necessarily is or what their closing lineup may look like. Um, and I think he was such a stable part of what they were doing, so I think that factors in. However, I don't think if you – asked my prediction at the start of the season or even, you know, up through March, I, I was still picking the Clippers um, to end up playing in the finals. So I don't think it hurt, you know, in my mind, I, I, I still, I still think it's going to be a Lakers Clippers Western conference final. I also say all this to say that I think for any of us that are, are making a lot of predictions and expectations based on what we saw prior, you know, to mid March, uh, I think there's a lot yet to be seen and to be learned about what these teams come back looking like, what players come back looking like, um, and just how this all goes. I don't think we could just assume that every roster and team and player is going to pick up from where they left off mid-March. Yeah, and that brings me to the next question of, like, what kind of signs should we be looking for early to determine where a team's at? I mean, you do a lot of radio and TV and probably get this question a lot. Like, who do you like coming back? I mean, who's the favorite? All that stuff. I have no idea. Like, at this point, all we get are, you know, videos that teams put out there. Like, I see Rajon Rondo looking like, you know, the Incredible Hulk at this point. Ben Simmons is talking about how much stronger he is at this point. But we're getting, you know, kind of spoon-fed little bits and pieces of where these guys are at. They're still not playing five on five at this point, and that'll happen in the next couple of weeks. But uh, the thing I look for early, Sarah, in these scrimmages and in the early regular season games is shooting percentages. Like, I, I want to see, you know, the Houston Rockets, big three-point shooting team. Milwaukee Bucks, big three-point shooting team. Like, are they making threes at the same clip that they were making prior to the pandemic? I mean, we were kind of goofing at the top about perishable skills. I mean, shooting kind of is a perishable skill. Like, if you don't do it for an extended period of time, you probably lose something off of that. So I'm very curious to see if, like, these teams come back and they hit their stride in a matter of weeks, or 
if instead of shooting like 35% from three, they're shooting 31% from three. And that's the difference right there in a, in a series. Like if you drop you know, three or four points from three-point range, for teams that rely on that shot so often, which is like everybody but Philadelphia, uh, that, that, that could be a, a big difference maker for a team. Well, your shot may not be affected over the time, but I guarantee your legs in the second half and in the fourth quarter, if you're not in the same type of conditioning, you better believe your shot's going to be affected. And, and everyone says this, it's said over and over. Why? Because it's true. The only way to stay in basketball shape is playing basketball. So there is no comparison to what these players have just experienced to a off season or to coming back to a preseason. So even though this is, similar to the, okay, ramp up with the training camp and let's ramp up in the game. In an off they're still getting runs in or they're still, you know, out playing in different leagues or still getting some semblance of five on five here and there uh, more often than not. So the fact that that has been non-existent, I think is something that really affects uh, how you play and the type of fitness level that you are at. I, I do think it's, it's, going to be challenging to actually decipher, okay, what are some early signs for what teams are going to do? Because every team is in very different positions. For teams like Milwaukee, for example, or the Lakers or the Clippers, they can they have a more maybe a little more opportunity, maybe a little more op- talent, maybe their positioning. They can slow roll into this a little bit more. So even if they're not hitting the ground running in those seeding games, or even for example a Milwaukee in the first round, um, or how you look at it, to me it's it's less like okay, how well are they gelling? What does their chemistry look like? There's some more wiggle room for some of these other teams, more in the middle of the pack, or even, for example, you know, these teams, particularly in the Western Conference, fighting for that eighth spot to get into playoff positioning. It's going to come at you quick, and you guys are even going to either going to be able to come together and play well and perform, or you know, you may find yourself sitting outside uh, looking at those in the playoffs and heading home from Orlando. So I, I think it's going to be tough to judge because, too, for as much as you know, you focus on how teams start coming together. Once you get into the playoffs, I I do, I wouldn't say just because a team doesn't look quite right in those first eight games that they're not going to eventually start to click and get it together. Um, It doesn't mean that they may not be able to perform to the level of their potential. I just think for different teams, it's going to be different signs of, okay, what's going to happen. And even for teams like those in the East, the Boston, the Toronto, uh, Philadelphia, they may not have as much runway to get themselves together if they're going to make a run. I tell you, if I'm the Lakers, I'm looking at that schedule and I'm, I might pick games that I tank because I don't want anything to do with Portland in the first round. Like if you're LA, you would want Memphis, you would want New Orleans even, you would want Sacramento, you want nothing to do with the Portland Trailblazers in the first round. I mean, think about it. You're down Avery Bradley, and you're going up against one of the best guard combinations in the league. Uh, a lethal fourth-quarter player in Damian Lillard, and a team that just got its starting front court back. Like, oh, you know, we talk about Ben Simmons. Well, here comes Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, who haven't played basically all season, and they're going to get back into the rotation, giving them whatever they can give them. I, I would... I would, if I'm the Lakers, I would just strategically find a way to get anybody but Portland to the playoffs. Am I wrong there? Oh, I agree with you. Portland is scary. They are scary. And again, the concept of it's hard to predict anything at this point of 
what teams are going to look like, what players are going to look like, how this is going to go, how you need to, you know, for coaches, uh, juggle and monitor, be navigate minutes of players to make sure um, that you're doing right by their bodies. But Portland is scary, and, and they are not a team uh, that I would want to see in the first round, that is for sure. No, I'm, I'm with you. That's that, that's just nuts. Like, that, that, that team could be that much stronger you know, come playoffs be the eight seed for the Lakers may have to go six, seven games is wild. Well, in them similar, and you could say this about a lot of teams, I, I do think continuity counts for something. So when you have players, whether they've been on the floor, or just around each other, the fact that they've got familiarity with one another, they're used to one another. Um, in, and they have, you know, Portland is a team that has that type of core. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me finish with this. This week is the 10-year anniversary of the decision. Um, LeBron James is now infamous, much-panned uh, announcement that he was taking his talents <laughs> to South Beach to join the Miami Heat. Uh, there have been some good stories written about it. Brian Windhorst did a great piece for ESPN. ESPN itself with Don Van Natta did a great uh, backstory on that decision. What do you remember, Sarah, about you know 10 years ago, what you thought about the decision then and how do you think it's aged? Do you think any differently about it now? I was I was just starting to work in Chicago at the time. So I was crushed. I, I was imagining the likes of, you know, when we were covering the Bulls and, and covering the NBA at the time. Um, and I know many have spoke about this, just the perception of, of what you thought possibilities were if you were one of those organizations or teams that felt like you had a shot. The Chicago Bulls uh, were a team that I had covered being in Chicago, and they felt like they had a, a legitimate shot, if not at Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. and um, everyone know how the circumstances played. So uh, I think early on prior to that, the thought of, you know, thinking that Derek Rose and Joe Kim Noah, Taj Gibson were on their rookie deals. And if you add these type of guys, uh, what that could mean. So my, my immediate perception was from that of someone covering the, the Chicago market. However, it's amazing to me when you say how it's aged, one, just looking back at how things are different, how things are different with free agency announcements, uh, with social media, just, you know, what has happened within the course of the last decade of just how we actually get our news and get these announcements and um, the players themselves making them. I, so I think looking at it, it, it felt... Uh, from I know LeBron got a, a lot of flack for how he did it, how it went down. Um, and to me, now we think about what happens within the course of the news and the media and society. Um, and that that was, that seemed like, like such a mark of uh, being a poor choice by LeBron to me is, is a little bit laughable because uh, to think about all he's done um, and, and just how much respect that he has garnered for the way in which he's carried himself, handled himself throughout the course of his career. Um, you know, that, that seems like, you know, something I think more of it, less about the decision and less about that show. Uh, you know, I always harken back to the, the images and the videos of when they had the pep, or the, I don't know if you'd call it a pep rally. What would you call it? Um, but in Miami with, uh, with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and, and just kind of, um, all the, all the bells and whistles that came around that. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think to me, it's just, um, you know, it's amazing how much attention, um, and just how much thought and how much conversation 
led up to that. I think about just the meetings and the media coverage of LeBron, and, you know, even at that point, Dwayne and Chris going into the meetings, coming out of the meetings. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, you know, to, to me, it's just, it, it shows just how much has changed. I mean, the great, um, one of the great what ifs with Chicago is always like, what if Derek Rose had been more engaged in it? Like, what if he and Noah had been more interested in getting those guys? Like, because they really weren't and the, recruiters. No, and, and that was Derek. And that was, I, I think, for anyone who covered him, you know, even knowing him now, but covering him his rookie year. I mean, I, I covered him when he was in high school at Simeon his senior year. Um, but th- that was very much how he was. And that's why he's beloved because of his loyalty um, and, and because of his his steadfast belief in himself and what he could be and the star he could be in that next season. You know, him being MVP, the team winning 60 games. Um you know, I think you look back hindsight's 2020 and in what it may have changed um, if he would have been more engaged in the recruiting. But um, but the way in which he he stood by the fact that he felt that he could be the star and should be the star and was sticking with the guys that were there, um, that that was very much who who Derek was. I, I always felt like, you know, seeing things in hindsight, you know, Wade and Bosch made their decision together. If Rose and Noah had been really engaged on it, I feel like they could have gotten him. Like, Bosch didn't want to be a five. You have a five there in Noah. Uh, Wade, obviously, strong ties to Chicago, eventually ended up there briefly at the end of his career. Uh, but you feel like they could have got LeBron? I, no, no, but I think Wade and Bosch might have gone without him. Like, I, I just feel like they would have. Well, and that's, and that's the, I, I, and I believe the Bulls thought that. I mean, I think, you know, it started with Chris Bosch, and they felt like, they had Bosch. I think that was, you know, something they felt like Bosch was coming to Chicago and they felt like Wade would come there and be in his hometown. Um, And that's where, when you you talk about the big three and Miami clearing that space and um, just the, you know, the, the, you look at the salary cap. I mean, and also reading some of these stories, you talk about the, was the salary cap really 58 million then? Uh, my, it was but low. It was, I, yeah. You look, but yeah, and it's crazy you think about those numbers, but just the concept of the structure of salaries and how Miami was able to structure enough room to have three max spots. And I don't even think that was something that Chicago was thinking about. No, I don't um, think they. I don't think they were either. I think, and they felt like they had. You know, they felt like they had a third guy and Derrick Rose and the pieces around them. So, um, you know, if you get Wade and Bosch, yeah. So. Um, the concept, though, that that LeBron having the opportunity, Miami and Pat Riley clearing that space and having the opportunity for all three of those guys to play together, um, yeah, it's 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 amazing how much that changed the course of NBA history and uh, the landscape as we know it. And just a quick thought on the decision. I mean, was it dumb? Yeah, like it, it was. Good. It shouldn't have been an hour. You know, you shouldn't have Jim Gray asking 400 questions, including, you know, do you bite your fingernails still, like, to get to the question at hand. Um, it, it was goofy, but ultimately, if that's, like, the biggest public blemish on LeBron's resume, like, I think you, you'll be okay with that. I mean, I don't, yeah. think, I don't think what can get lost in the shuffle is the fact that that did raise a couple million dollars for the Boys and Girls Club in that area. And then LeBron, I believe added on to that with some further donations and gifts uh, that made it even more generous and continued what is still a trend of his, 
you know, generosity to to lower income households and, and certainly in his own backyard of Akron, Ohio. I mean, it, I, he obviously wouldn't do it again when he, you know, went out four years later. He partnered with, you know, one of the great writers of this generation, Lee Jenkins, and, you know, had a very, you know, thoughtful, you know, piece in Sports Illustrated at the time. Uh, so he obviously learned from that mistake, but it just feels like I don't really remember how what I thought of, I was covering the league then in 2010, but I don't remember how fired up I got about it back then. But looking back at it now, it's like, what was anybody fired up about? You can just kind of laugh, a, laugh at it for a minute and then just move on. And, and you said it better than me though, but that people were fired up that they felt like it was such an atrocious display of decision-making on his part to do something like that. And, and that, <laughs> it is laughable and it's laughable considering it. And you go back and the questions leading up to that and you just want, well, the point of the show is we know when doing these things and producing a, a show and maybe there's different ways you can go about it. If he gave a decision, you know, a minute or two or three minutes into it, everyone clicks it off and that's going to be all the talk. So uh, the concept of getting people to watch all the way through until you make a decision is, is a part of it. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's funny to think how, uh, how that was viewed in, in light of just what it means now and, and what a small deal that is compared to the the big deal of everything that he does and in giving back and, and um, you know, doing for kids and just his, his strategy be behind how much he tries to use his platform to give back and, and to help others. Yeah, every subsequent decision he's made, he's minimized, whether it was the story with Jenkins, then one word one sentence press release going to the lakers like he's he's definitely learned from uh you know some of these slip-ups along the way and gotten better at that type of thing as well uh sarah appreciate it uh enjoy your home bubble for however long this lasts how are things in new york these days i haven't been back too much in the last uh no complaints it's good and uh cases are going down as well so that's positive uh things are opening up just a little bit more uh but no it's been good no complaints like, like we discussed, I've been uh, trying to stay in, stay safe. If I go outside, toss on a mask, get a little fresh air for some runs, but otherwise uh, it's been good. And it's always nice through Zoom or FaceTime or whatnot, being able to still see the people you want to talk to and care about. I see uh, you're going with the two fake ferns in your background there. I mean, are we- For real. Real. No, 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 they're real. Ah, okay. All right. This is, that was an addition. I don't have decorations within my apartment, <laughs> uh, but about three weeks in, I was like, I need some life. A lot of people were getting dogs and that was not up my alley. So I got a plant. I got a tree plant and then this little plant. Oh, see, I, I can I can help you out there. I've got a sign guy in Vermont that will just bring get you any kind of sign you want there. Lots of good signs. High quality signs. Oh. Yeah. Nah, I'll stick with the plants. <laughs> but okay. Fine, jerk. Uh Sarah, appreciate it. Stay well out there. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Mannix. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy... Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.